ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد So today then is the second lesson in the Ramadan course. Last time we finished off by talking about some of the rulings of the suhoor and the iftar. Today we move on then to the next narration. The next narration is the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu qal Naha Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama anil wisal فقال رجل من المسلمين فإنك يا رسول الله تواصل قال وأيكم مثلي إني أبيت يطعمني الله ويسقيني فلما أبوا أن ينتهوا عن الوصال واصل بهم يوما ثم يوما ثم رأوا الهلال فقال لو تأخر الهلال لزدتكم كالمنكر لهم حين أبوا أن ينتهوا This hadith now, it talks about something called wisal. Wisal is when a person starts their fasting as usual from the suhoor, then the fajr time begins, he starts fasting as usual. When he gets to the maghrib time, he doesn't open his fast. Carries on fasting. All the way till Isha. All the way past Isha. All the way till next Suhoor time. Doesn't eat, drink, nothing. Carries on fasting. That's called Wisal. As it's mentioned in this hadith in Al-Bukhari and Muslim. The question is, what is the ruling on doing that? Is it permissible? For a Muslim to do this wisal, to carry on, don't open the fast, carry on past Maghrib, Isha, all the way till next suhoor, maybe even then not eat anything, just carry on all next day as well. Maybe two days in a row, no food, no drink. So is that permissible or not? In this hadith it says, Abu Huraira says that the Prophet ﷺ prohibited doing this wisal. But then a man who was in that gathering, he said, But Messenger of Allah, you do the wisal. The Prophet ﷺ told them all, the wisal is not allowed, prohibited. But then one man said, Oh, but Messenger of Allah, you do the wisal. He used to do it. So one man said, Oh, Messenger of Allah, but you do the wisal. Meaning, the man was saying, Why can't we do it? We want to do it too. That you do it, O Messenger of Allah. So then the Prophet ﷺ said to him, وَأَيُّكُمْ مِثْلِي But who from amongst you is like me? Who from amongst you is like me though? إِنِّي أَبِيتُ يُطْعِمُنِ اللَّهُ وَيَسْقِينِ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
feeds me and gives me water. Who from amongst you is like me? Allah gives me the, the sustenance, the food and the water. But then, even when the Prophet ﷺ told them, but none of you is like me. Even then, they were refusing, they wanted to do it. To get the reward and do the longer fasting and carry on, they wanted to do it. And they were refusing to accept that they can't do it. So in the end, the Prophet ﷺ did it with them. They all did it together. In the end, when they were kind of refusing to not do it, so the Prophet ﷺ did it with them. They all started their fast. He got to Maghrib, none of them opened it. Carried on. All the night up until the next day of Suhoor, didn't open their fast even then. Carried on all of the next day. Then it mentions when it got to the third day, the new moon was sighted. So this must have been at the end of Ramadan when this happened. The new moon was sighted on the third day. So then obviously they had to open their fast because you cannot fast going into Eid. So then they opened their fast after two days or three days without any food or drink. The Prophet ﷺ said to them, if the new moon hadn't come out, I would have continued even another day more than that. To show them that you wouldn't have been able to do it. You wouldn't have been able to do that. So look at what happened in this hadith. The Prophet ﷺ told them, this is in Bukhari, a Muslim. He told them, you can't do this wisal. But then one man, he said, but Messenger of Allah, you do it. Then the Prophet ﷺ told him, but none of you is like me. Allah feeds me and gives me drink. Some of the scholars say physically that he was being provided food and drink from Allah. Other scholars, they say the meaning of that is that Allah had given the Prophet ﷺ a level of iman and taqwa, etc. That he could do that and he could be patient upon it. No food, no drink. He could be patient for one day, two days, three days. So he was explaining to them, none of you is like me. You can't do that like me. But still they were refusing. So in the end, the Prophet ﷺ showed them physically. Told them, do it with me then. So they did it with the Prophet ﷺ. One day, no food, no drink, no opening the fast. Carried on to the next day. No food, no drink. But then the next day as it was going to carry on, the new moon appeared. And so then they opened their fast. But then the Prophet ﷺ said to them, if it hadn't appeared, I would have carried on even more days. To show them, look, you can't do this kind of thing. So anyway, that's the narration. What's the ruling that we can conclude then? Is it permissible to do this wisal, meaning to start your fast at the suhoor time normal, carry on, but at maghrib don't open it, no food, no drink. Carry on fasting. Past Isha all the night, carry on, carry on. No opening your fast. Is it allowed or is it not based upon this narration then? Based upon this narration, what then? What's the ruling? Why would you say that it's allowed? So the fact that the Prophet ﷺ allowed them to do it with him, 
could be used as a proof to say that it's permissible. Because if it was completely haram, then why would the Prophet ﷺ have let them do it? If it was completely haram, then how and why would the Prophet ﷺ have let them do it? That indicates that it must not be completely haram. The Prophet ﷺ let them do it. Maybe that's one opinion. There are different opinions. There are in fact four opinions about this issue. Are you allowed to not open your fast at Maghrib and carry on fasting? Carry on till Isha, carry on through the night. Next day suhoor time comes in the morning, maybe you don't even have suhoor. You just carry on fasting the whole next day from the previous day suhoor time. Can you do it or not? Four opinions. Opinion number one, which is the majority of the scholars. The majority of the scholars, they say that it is impermissible. Haram to do that. Majority of the scholars, they tell you it is haram to do that. Obviously, at the beginning of the hadith, it starts off by telling us that the Prophet said to them all, it is prohibited. He was telling them it's prohibited. And then, later on when he allowed them to do it, it wasn't because it was permissible. He only allowed them to do it to show them physically that you can't do it. So it was to like teach them a lesson physically about that. That you can't do it. So the opinion of the first group of scholars, the majority of the scholars, is that it is not permissible. You've got to open your fast at Maghrib time. You can't say, but still I'm good, I can carry on, do more hours, get more reward, I'll open my fast after taraweeh when I get back. You can't. Majority of the scholars say you can't. You have to open your fast at the time of Maghrib. Second opinion is the opposite, that it's permissible and allowed to do that. And they use which part of the hadith? That bottom part of the hadith where it shows... It says that the Prophet ﷺ allowed them to do it in the end. When they carried on insisting, he allowed them to do it with him. So the second opinion, second group of scholars, they say, look, at the end of the day, he let them do it in the end. So that must mean that it's permissible. So that's the second opinion of the scholars. Even though they say, it is better to not do it. But it's allowed. Because at the end of the day, he let them do it. So it's allowed. But it's better not to. Because at the beginning of the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ was telling them, that you can't do it, don't do it. So they say it's better not to do it, but it's allowed. That's second opinion. Third opinion, is that it's only allowed for somebody who is physically capable. Somebody who isn't, and they're burdening themselves and harming themselves by trying to do more hours after Maghrib, then it's haram. So third opinion is, okay, it's allowed, but only for people who are actually capable physically. People who aren't, and they're just going to burden themselves, harm themselves, do damage to themselves, then it's haram, you can't do it. That is the third opinion. The fourth opinion, which is the opinion of Imam Ahmed, is that it is permissible, but only up to a certain point. What is the certain point? Three days. Three days, too much. 
Too much. Till Fajr the next morning. Till the suhoor time of the next day. So that would make it how many hours? 24 hours. You have your suhoor one day. You fast all of that day. Maghrib, don't open it. Carry on. Isha, carry on. Taraweeh, carry on. Get back. At the suhoor time now, it's been 24 hours. You have to open your fast now. Al-Imam Ahmed, his opinion is, it's allowed up to 24 hours. Up to one suhoor to the next suhoor time. That's allowed up to there. But you cannot miss that next suhoor and say, I'm still okay, I can carry on the next day and do it. You can't do that. That's opinion number four. Why do they have that opinion? Why do they say it's allowed up to suhoor time then? There's a hadith. There's a hadith in Bukhari, in fact, it says, لا تواصلوا فأيكم أراد أن يواصل فليواصل إلى الصحر Do not do the wisal Hadith in Bukhari this one says Don't do that continued fasting But any of you who wants to do it Then you can continue up until the suhoor Hadith in Bukhari So Imam Ahmad said there you go Simple straightforward It's saying don't do the wisal But if you're gonna do it then you can only do it up to the suhoor time. So that is opinion number four. That is the four opinions regarding this issue. As Shaykh Al-Fawzan, his opinion is the opinion number four as well. He says, if you're going to insist on doing it, then you can do it up until the suhoor time of the next morning only. For 24 hours. Up to the suhoor time of the next morning only 24 hours. You can't go beyond that into day number two, day number three, nothing. So that's the four opinions regarding that. Opinion one, the majority of the scholars that it's just not allowed. Maghrib time, you open your fast. Opinion two, it shouldn't be done, but it is allowed. Opinion three, it's only allowed if you have physical ability. If you're going to harm yourself and it's difficult, then haram. Opinion four, it's allowed, but only up until suhoor time. That is the four opinions. The majority of the scholars, like we said, their opinion is you can't do it. You have to open your fast at Maghrib. You can't insist and make intention to carry on after that. Then, the next hadith, the next topic is about the types of things that break your fast. قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من لم يدع قول الزور والعمل به والجهل فليس لله حاجة في أن يدع طعامه وشرابه that a person who does not leave the evil and false speech and the evil and false actions and foolishness a person who doesn't leave those types of things, then Allah has no need for that person to leave his food and drink. A person who doesn't leave his evil, then Allah has no need for him to leave his food and drink. Meaning, if a person thinks fasting is just about not eating and not drinking, if that's what a person thinks, then he hasn't understood what fasting is. Fasting isn't just to stop eating and drinking. It is to stop all of the sins and the evils. Hadith says, if you're not going to stop your sins and evils, then why are you stopping your food and drink? You think fasting is just stopping the food and drink, and leaving the sins as they are, carry and doing them? Hadith says, whoever doesn't stop their evil speech and evil actions, 
and foolishness, then Allah has no need for him to stop his food and drink. This is, as the scholars mention, because there are two types of things that break your fast. One is the physical types of things like food and drink. They break your fast. If you purposely have food, purposely have drink, breaks your fast. The second uh, makes it invalid. You got to make it up afterwards and make toba. The second type of things that break your fast are the things that do not break it in terms of invalidate it, but they break the reward of it. And that is these types of things. Evil speech, evil actions, foolishness in your behavior. If that's the kind of thing that you do when you're fasting, it will take away your reward bit by bit. Maybe all day you've been hungry, starving, thirsty, everything up until Maghrib. You've done it, but maybe you get no reward for that day. Even though you fasted with no food, no drink, all of those 18 hours at the end, you may get no reward for it. Because you've wasted all of your reward of the day in lying and swearing and all of the evil you've been doing. Wasted all of your reward for that day. That's what it means. If you're not going to leave your evil speech and actions, then leaving your food and drink, Allah has no need. You're going to stop your food and drink all day, but carry on your evil, which is taking away your reward. So at the end of the day, after all of that tiredness and fatigue and no food and no drink, you're not getting any reward for it. So the point is, there are two things to be aware of. One is the physical types of things that break your fast and invalidate it. The other is these evils of speech and actions and behavior that take away the reward of your fasting bit by bit. And if you do that type of evil behavior and speech and slander and lying and backbiting when you're fasting, it's taking away the reward for that day. So slowly all of your reward is going down the more you lie and swear and do those things when you're fasting. And at the end of the day, you may be left with nothing. You fasted all day, it counts. But how much reward is going to count for you? Hardly anything for the day. You've wasted it all with your evil behavior and evil speech and actions. So this hadith is highlighting that a person needs to be very careful with that. And make sure that they don't just waste their month of Ramadan. All month fasting, getting up, suhoor, 18 hours, all of that. And at the end of the month, you hardly got any reward for it. Because you wasted all of your reward by carrying on with your evils and your lying and your slander, your backbiting, your storytelling, your evil behavior, speech, cheating, deception. You've carried on with all of those things. So at the end of Ramadan, you may get hardly any reward for your Ramadan, even though you've been doing it every day. That's why a person needs to be very careful with his behavior during the month of Ramadan, with his speech during the month of Ramadan. It mentions in another hadith in Bukhari and Muslim, فَإِنْ سَابَّهُ أَحَدٌ أَوْ قَاتَلَهُ If somebody swears at you or abuses you or tries to fight you when you're fasting, then don't get involved. Tell them, إِنِّي صَائِمُ فَلْيَقُلْ إِنِّي صَائِمُ The Prophet ﷺ said, anybody who comes and abuses you or wants to get physical or anything, turn away, tell them, I'm fasting. That's what the hadith says in Bukhari and Muslim. Anybody tries to provoke you, tell them, I'm fasting. And walk away. That is the way of the sunnah. So you don't get involved in this evil speech, evil behavior, evil actions, because that will simply take away the reward of your fasting. Then, hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha. In fact, this one will come to with the topic afterwards. Next one first is the issue of cupping.
the hijama, the cupping, is that permissible when you're fasting or not? Is it permissible to get the cupping done, the blood taken out, when you're fasting or not? Does it break your fast or does it not break your fast? What's the ruling? So the person who does it to you breaks their fast as well and yours too. Okay, anybody else? What then? What's the ikhtilas? I'm asking. What does it do? What's the ruling? So you're saying it's not allowed. It's haram to do hijama when you're fasting. No, it's not allowed. Not allowed. Is the difference based upon the amount of blood taken So, let's have a look. Focus on these hadith. There are three hadith we're going to mention here. You have to focus on all three of them properly to understand the conclusion. Hadith number one. Properly remember these now. Hadith number one is the hadith of Abdullah ibn Abbas. Radiyallahu anhumah. Anna al-Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallama ihtajama wa huwa muhrim wahtajama wa huwa sa'im. Rawahu al-Bukhari. In Bukhari. That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had the cupping done when he was in ihram. When are you going to be in ihram? When you're doing umrah or hajj. So he was in ihram. Gone past the miqat, everything. In ihram. And he had the cupping done. Either umrah or hajj. And then the hadith says, وَاحْتَجَمَ وَهُوَ صَائِمٌ and he also had the cupping done another time when he was fasting. So this hadith is telling you cupping is allowed when you're in ihram, no problem. And cupping is allowed when you are fasting, hadith in Bukhari. Two distinct sentences in the hadith. The Prophet ﷺ had the cupping done when he was in ihram and he had the cupping done when he was fasting. Two parts to the hadith very clear. That's number one. Hadith number two. An Shaddad ibn Aws radiyallahu anhu anna Rasulullahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ata ala rajulin bil baqiyah wa huwa yihtajimu fi ramadhan faqal afdar al-hajimu wal-mahjum In this narration it mentions that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam came across a man uh, next to Baqi'ah, Baqi'ah, next to the uh, uh, Masjid of the Prophet he came across a man just near there. And the man was getting cupping done to him. Must have been sitting there somewhere near there. The Prophet walked by and he saw this man getting cupping done. Somebody was there cupping this other man. So the Prophet said to them, this was in Ramadan, fasting, during the day. He said, Afpar al-hajimu wal-mahjum. He said, the one doing the cupping, fast is broken. The one who's getting the cupping done to you, fast is broken. He said to them, both of your fasts are broken. Authentic narration as well. So this hadith indicates the opposite of hadith number one. This one seems to be telling us very clearly, if you do the cupping when you're fasting, your fast is gone. Even the one who does it to you, his fast is gone too. Hadith number three is the hadith of Anas ibn Malik. He says, 
أول ما كرهت الحجام للصائم أن جعفر بن بطالب احتجم وهو صائم فمر به النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فقال أفضر هذا He says initially cupping when you are fasting was haram and he mentions the example of the Prophet ﷺ when he walked by Ja'far ibn Abi Talib. This time the name is mentioned. And he was getting cupped when he was fasting. And so the Prophet ﷺ said to him, and the one doing it for him, both of your fasts are broken. But then Anas ibn Malik goes on to say, so far he has said that cupping when you're fasting breaks your fast. And he's given the same example as hadith number two. But then Anas ibn Malik goes on in this narration and says, then, thumma, but then, رَخَّصَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى لِلصَّائِمِ Then afterwards, at a later time, maybe a few years later, whenever the revelation came, the new revelation came and the Prophet ﷺ allowed cupping to happen when you are fasting. That's what he says. Initially it was haram. That time when the Prophet ﷺ saw the two men, in those days it was haram, he says. But then afterwards revelation, new revelation came that actually cupping when you're fasting is allowed. And then it says, كَانَ أَنَسْ يَحْتَجِمُ وَهُوَ صَائِمُ Anas ibn Malik, the companion, used to get the cupping done when he was fasting. Third narration tells us what then? It seems to be combining the first two narrations. Telling us that yes, hadith number two is right. Initially, cupping when you're fasting was haram. But then afterwards, the new revelation came saying that actually it's okay. That must explain hadith number one then. That the Prophet ﷺ got it done when he was fasting. It must have been after when the new revelation came. So hadith number three seems to be clarifying it all. That in the beginning it wasn't allowed. And that's when in those days the Prophet ﷺ must have seen those two men. In the days when it wasn't allowed. Revelation was that it's haram. Breaks your fast. So he told them your fasts are broken. But then afterwards, and this used to happen, new revelation used to come. Maybe a few years later, a change in the revelation of something. So it says in this narration, a change in the revelation occurred. New revelation came saying that actually cupping is permissible when fasting. And so Anas used to do it. And hadith number one says the Prophet ﷺ himself got it done when he was fasting. So based upon all of that, then what's your conclusion now? Based upon all of that, you would think now that the conclusion is, it's permissible. It never used to be permissible, but then abrogation now. Abrogation, new hadith has come with the new revelation saying it's permissible. Despite that, there are two main opinions about this issue. Opinion number one, which is the majority of the scholars... Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, Al-Imam Malik, Al-Imam Shafi'i, those three, the majority overall of the scholars generally, their opinion is that cupping, it does or doesn't break your fast? It does break your fast. Their opinion, the majority of the scholars, Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, Al-Imam Malik, Al-Imam Shafi'i, that cupping does not break your fasting. Their opinion is, the majority of the scholars, Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, Al-Imam Malik, Al-Imam Shafi'i, cupping when you are fasting, doesn't break your fast. That is the opinion of the majority of the scholars. 
What's the evidence they use? Obviously hadith number 3. Because in hadith number 3 it says, yes, initially it wasn't allowed, but then afterwards, new revelation came saying it's allowed. So they use that, they say, look, that's it, new revelation came saying it's allowed. On top of that, they use hadith number 3, and also hadith number 1, where it said that the Prophet ﷺ did the cupping when he was fasting. Ihram, that's the other part. Then the other part said he got the cupping done when he was Fasting, the second sentence. So they use those evidences and they say, there you go. It's permissible to get the cupping done when you're fasting. It doesn't break your fast. Majority of the scholars. But then you have the second opinion. The second opinion, which is the opinion actually again of major scholars. People like Al-Imam Ahmad. People like the Sheikh of Al-Imam Al-Bukhari. Al-Imam Al-Bukhari's Sheikh, he was called Ishaq ibn Rahoya. He has this opinion. Another great scholar, Ibn Khuzayma. Another great scholar, Ibn Taymiyyah. Ibn Al-Qayyim as well. All of these, they say, cupping breaks your fast. They obviously use mainly hadith number 2, where the Prophet saw the two men and he told them, both of your fasts are broken. But then they need to explain hadith number 1 and 3. So how are they going to explain hadith number 1 and 3? Hadith number 1 was that the Prophet ﷺ got the cupping done when he was in ihram. That part doesn't matter. We're not talking about ihram, we're talking about Ramadan. The second sentence though said, and he had the cupping done when he was fasting. Hadith is in Bukhari. Actually these scholars, and they are all muhaddithun. Ahmed ibn Hanbal, Ishaq ibn Rahoya, the Shaykh of Imam al-Bukhari, Ibn Khuzayma, all of these scholars, great scholars, they researched in precise detail and they discovered that the hadith in Bukhari, the hadith is authentic, that the Prophet ﷺ had the cupping done when he was in Ihram. The second sentence though, and he had the cupping done when he was fasting, that second sentence they say, it's not proven from the hadith of Bukhari. And in fact, Al-Imam Muslim, when he narrated the same hadith, when you go to Sahih Muslim, he only narrates the first sentence. Al-Imam Muslim, it seems like he understood this point as well. When he narrated the same hadith in Sahih Muslim, he only narrated the Prophet ﷺ had the cupping done when he was in Ihram. Full stop, that's it. He didn't add on the second part and he had the cupping done when he was fasting. Because many of the scholars of hadith say that second sentence is there's an issue with it. It's not from the authentic original narration. They say the original narration was just the Prophet ﷺ had the cupping done when he was in Ihram. They say that's the hadith. The second sentence they say that's something a bit suspicious. It's not quite right. It doesn't add up with the chains and the authenticity. So that's what they say. And Al-Imam Muslim, when you check the Sahih Muslim, he only narrates the first sentence. He doesn't even add on the second sentence in his hadith. So there's a possibility that second sentence is not quite right. The actual hadith in Bukhari is authentic. The, the first sentence, the original hadith is authentic. The Prophet ﷺ got the cupping done when he was in Ihram. The issue is just the second sentence. Is that part of this original first hadith or not? Many of the scholars of hadith say, no, it's not. 
That's why Imam Muslim didn't even add it when he put it in Sahih Muslim. So therefore, they exclude that narration. They say, no, we can't take that as an evidence. That's gone. Still, they have to explain hadith number three. Because hadith number three is saying that, okay, we agree with hadith number two, that the Prophet saw the two men and told them their fasts are broken. Hadith number three people say, we agree with that. But then they say, that was in the early days. Afterwards, new revelation came, as Anas ibn Malik says, and that was finished. And then cupping was allowed. So they are saying hadith number three abrogates, it overrides, it overtakes hadith number two. It is telling you that hadith number two was valid, but it is no longer valid. New revelation came that cupping is allowed. How are they going to explain that? These scholars will say, it breaks you fast. They explain it by saying, Hadith number two that they use, when the Prophet ﷺ saw the two men and he said, your fasts are broken, that is a very strong hadith. Many companions narrated that hadith. Over 10, 15 companions. It is like mutawatir as they say. Many companions narrated that narration. It's a very strong narration. That the Prophet ﷺ saw the two men and he said, both of your fasts are broken. As for this hadith number three, it is not as strong in terms of its authenticity as hadith number two. It is less, it is lower level than the level of strength of hadith number two. So what do they say? They say you can't come along with a hadith that is lower level than our hadith number two and try and tell us the lower level hadith is going to overtake our hadith number two. They say, basically, if you brought us a very strong hadith, then okay, we'll agree that you can overtake this hadith number two. But you're bringing us a weaker one, not weak that it's not acceptable, but it's a lower level one. You're bringing us a lower level hadith and trying to override our much stronger narration narrated by multiple companions. They say that's not acceptable. And in the sciences of hadith, they have a point. You can't bring a, a lower level narration and try to override a much more powerful narration in terms of its strength. They say it's not acceptable. Your narration is too weak or not strong enough in the level of it to be able to override ours. Ours is a clear narration narrated by several companions. Multiple companions. Clear. The Prophet told them your fasts are broken. You can't bring us some hadith which is lower level than ours and try to bring it up above ours. So they say we're not going to accept that. And therefore they stick with hadith number 2 and say that cupping breaks your fast. The other scholars, of course, they disagree. They say, no, no, we can use this hadith to override yours. And they don't agree that the second sentence of hadith number 1 is not established. And therefore they all take the opinion that it doesn't break your fast. So that is the two opinions. Uh, that is the two opinions regarding the issue of the fasting, uh, the issue of the cupping when a person is fasting. Then, after that, well, before we move on, why would cupping be an issue anyway? Why would it break your fast? You're not eating anything, you're not drinking anything, why would cupping break your fast anyway? 
Because things that break your fast, this is like a rule to remember. Things that break your fast, you can think of them, or there are two ways. One is by putting things into your body, like food, like drink. Putting things into your body, food, drink, pills, tablets, all of those things. Putting those things into your body breaks your fast. The second way of breaking your fast is by removing things from your body. That's one of the ways that you can break your fast. By removing things from your body. For example, we're going to do it later on. There's a hadith, if somebody makes themselves vomit on purpose, what have you done? You've removed something from your body. Hadith, it says, whoever makes themselves vomit on purpose, it breaks your fast. You haven't eaten anything, you haven't drunk anything, you've removed something from your body. So, fast can be broken by taking things into your body, and it can be broken by removing things from your body. In this case, what's happening with copying? You are obviously removing things from your body. You're removing blood from your body. And that isn't something suitable when you're fasting. Because obviously when you remove that type of blood from your body, it weakens you. And to become weakened when fasting is not suitable. You're supposed to have whatever energy you've got to keep fasting, not to make yourself weaker and weaker. And that's why in narrations it says, you're not supposed to go out and walk in the sun on purpose and say, I'm going to fast like that. You don't make yourself weak like that. So for that type of reason, some of the scholars say it's not permissible and it breaks your fast. So based upon that then, is it allowed to have like a, a blood sample? You go to the doctor, he says, I need to take a blood sample. You are now removing something from your body. Permissible or not, will it break your fast or not? Depends on the amount. It depends on the amount. If it's a small, tiny syringe, he says, just tiny amount, one, one, one drop. Just need to get one drop, we're going to do a test on your blood. They're going to take one tiny drop out, it doesn't do anything. That's okay, your fast doesn't break. But if he gets a big syringe, I need to fill this up. I need to get a big sample to do these proper tests. So now it's going to break your fast. So that depends. If it's just a tiny, small sample they need to take, then that doesn't break your fast. That's nothing, that's not going to affect you. But if it's a full big syringe, everything they need to take a large amount to do tests or whatever, then it breaks your fast. Accidental We're going to come to the hadith. Accidental vomiting doesn't break your fast. Only if you do it on purpose. And that brings us to this question too. Imagine now you're out on the road, uh, you fall down, you have an accident, all your leg broken, something grazed, a lot of blood comes out. You've removed a lot of stuff from your body. Maybe you lose a pint of blood. You have an accident. You fall off your bike. Lots of blood comes out. Does it break your fast? A lot of blood has come out now. If you fall down and scrape your leg everywhere, all sorts, your arm or everything, a lot of blood came out. Why not? Absolutely. That wouldn't break your fast. That's completely unintentional. It's happened completely unintentionally. Even if it is a large amount of blood that came out, it wouldn't break your fast. It's a complete accident. You can carry on fasting. If you're able, of course, in that type of situation, you may not be able to carry on fasting anyway. And it would be permissible to open your fast with that type of injury or whatever. But if you were able, then you could carry on and it wouldn't break your fast because it is accidental. Then moving on to the next narration. An Aisha radiallahu anha أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم اكتحل في رمضان 
This hadith we're gonna quote now, many scholars say it's weak. What it says is that the Prophet used the kuhl, you know the black eyeliner type of thing. The kuhl. That he used that when he was fasting in Ramadan. Hadith though many scholars say is weak. But the rulings, what are they? Is it permissible to use these types of things when you're fasting? Kuhl for example on your eyes. Uh, other things that are similar like eye drops. Can you use these types of things when fasting or not? Permissible or not? Permissible? So, with kuhl, that's not going into your eye, it's not food, it's not drink, it's permissible. Eye drops, again, it's not really something that's going to go into your stomach as such. Eardrops, again, not really going to go into your stomach as such. Those types of ones are allowed. Even though scholars say, if you can avoid it, if the doctor says you just got to take it once a day, no problem, take it after Maghrib in that case once a day. But if he says every three hours, every four hours, then you got to take it during the day. But if you can avoid it, if it's once a day or something, or twice a day, and you can squeeze it after Maghrib and just before Fajr, then do that. Avoid doing it, doing it during the fasting. Eye drops, ear drops, if you can avoid it. If not, then it's allowed. Nose drops are not allowed because they can directly go into your stomach. You can directly suck something through your nose into your stomach. So that wouldn't be allowed. Other types of things, obviously pills, tablets, those types of things, all impermissible. You take a pill, you take a tablet, it breaks your fast. But what if the doctor says you got to take this every four hours? So now you got to take it when you're fasting. Now what? What are you going to do now? No, he says every four hours. You have to take these pills. It says on the, on the label, no, take two every four hours. Then that's it. You got exemption. You can break your fast. If the doctor says, look, for one week, you got this problem, you got to take these pills every four hours. Have to. That's the only way you're going to get cured. That's the way it works, this course. So for one week in Ramadan, you're going to have to miss your fasting. And just make them up after eat. Because you got to take those tablets every four hours. He's telling you that's the way. One week now, you have to do it. Otherwise, it's going to cause you problems and medical and whatever else. So now then for a week, you're going to have to miss fasting because of illness. And you got to take those tablets and make it up afterwards. But you can't say, but i got to take these tablets. I always do. I'll just fast and I'll just have the tablets twice a day as well. That, that, there's no fast like that. Some people have tablets they got to take all their life. Some people now, maybe some elderly in age or something... They got certain tablets, regular, all the time, repeat prescription, all the time. They got to take them every day, every four hours. So how are they going to fast? Doctor tells them, you got a medical condition, you got to take these tablets. Every day, every four hours, otherwise this happens, that happens, your organs, all types of things. So then what's he going to do? So he's got a permanent exemption. Doctor says, you got to be on these tablets, you're going to be on these tablets, you're not coming off them. Every day, four hours, you got to take them, otherwise your organs, this, that, the other. So that person can't fast. He can't fast, he can't make it up afterwards, because the doctor is telling him, you're always going to be on these tablets. So it's not like he can make it up afterwards either. So he's permanently ill. So he can miss the fasting, and what does he do then? Give the fidya. He's got to feed a poor person for every day. That's the ruling on a person who can't fast at all. 
But those we're going to actually come to in more detail later on as well. Hmm. Has to be strict. Has to be? Quite stricter on, on the exemption. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the, the, the nature of the illness. Exactly, exactly. The type of the illness, how ill you have to be to be given exemption. We'll talk about that when we get to the section about the hadith of illnesses. Hmm. The asthma pump, with regards to the asthma thing, if somebody's got asthma, then the scholars, a Shaykh Al Taymin, a Shaykh Bin Baz, a Shaykh Ahmed Najmi, all of them, they say the asthma thing is permissible. The inhaler. The inhaler. The inhaler is permissible. Because it's not food or drink anyway. It's a puff of air, really. It's a puff of air. It's not really food or drink anyway. On top of that, it doesn't really go to your stomach, it goes through to your lungs. So for those reasons, the scholars, they say the inhaler for asthma is allowed. Then we move on to the next narration. عَنَ أَبِي هُرَيْرَةَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ قَالْ قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ مَنْ نَسِيَّ وَهُوَ صَائِمْ فَأَكَلَ أَوْ شَرِبَ فَلْيُتِمَّ سَوْمَهُ فَإِنَّمَا أَطْعَمَهُ اللَّهُ وَسَقَاهُ Hadith which is muttafaqun alayh. That whoever forgets that they are fasting and ends up eating or drinking, then carry on your fast. Because that is food and drink that Allah has provided you. Hadith in Bukhari and Muslim. In another narration, مَنْ أَفْطَرَ فِي رَمَضَانِ نَاسِيًا فَلَا قَضَاءَ عَلَيْهِ وَلَا كَفَّارًا Whoever eats during Ramadan accidentally, forgetfully, then there is nothing to make up afterwards. That day will still count. You carry on. And there is no expiation upon you. You don't have to make up days. You don't have to feed a person. Nothing. So these narrations are telling us about the issue of somebody who accidentally eats whilst they are fasting. They forget. A person forgets they are fasting, just picks up something out of habit, some water, forgets, and just takes a sip, eats something, they forget. In that situation, if a person eats something, then remembers afterwards that they're fasting. What they've eaten now, it's gone. It's in their stomach, it's gone. Then they remember. It doesn't matter. They carry on fasting, open their fast at Maghrib, and it counts. Because what they ate was completely forgetfulness. Completely forgotten they ate. Maybe even a whole meal. Could be. It can be. Maybe the person eats a whole meal. Dinner time, mashallah, they sit down. They get everything out. Get all the chapatis out. Get all the big bowl of curry out, whatever it is. Get the pizzas, the burgers, they have a full meal. Huh? They get everything out. What if you have five meals for that? No, they get everything out, they eat everything, have a full meal. At the end of the meal, they wrapped it all up, finished it, wiping their mouth with the cloth, then they remember. Today's fasting. So now all of that meal that completely full, mashallah. They remember at the end. But the ruling is, genuinely the ruling is, if they were absolutely forgot, now they remember. They carry on fasting for the rest of the day and it counts. And they are not held accountable upon forgetfulness. But the other thing is, the condition is, as soon as you remember, you must stop. So if the person is in the middle of this meal, in the middle of the meal he remembers about fasting. It's Ramadan. Instantly, in the middle of his meal, whatever is there, he's got to stop. Instantly, he must stop. 
If he stops instantly as soon as he remembers, the rest of the day carries on and it counts. Even if he had something in his mouth, he's eating, he's eating a burger, in the middle of taking a bite, he takes the bite out of the burger, it's in his mouth. He's chewing it in his mouth and he remembers. He's got to get that out of his mouth. What's in his mouth, he's chewing it now, he can't swallow that one now. If he swallows that one now, fast broken. Because he's remembered and it's still in his mouth, he's chewing it. He's got to get it out, wash it out. And no more eating. And the rest of the day will count. But if he's chewing, chewing and he remembers and then he swallows upon remembering, now his fast is broken because now he's eaten after he remembered. So as long as you absolutely stop, as soon as you remember, even remove what's in your mouth then, then the rest of the day counts. But if you remember and swallow anything after you remembered, then your fast is broken, you got to repent and make the day up again. So that is regarding forgetfulness during fasting. Then we come to this hadith about the vomit. عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من ذرعه القي من ذرعه القي فلا قضاء عليه ومن استقاء فعليه القضاء that whomsoever is overcome by vomit you're just feeling unwell from the hunger, etc. And you just end up vomiting. Then there is nothing to make up. Your day you carry on and it counts. But somebody who makes themselves vomit from the hunger, your stomach is hurting everything, you can feel something not right, you want to get it out. So you make yourself vomit. Then that person, he's got to repent and make up the day his fast is broken. So if it's just medically, you're not feeling well, and you end up vomiting. That doesn't break your fast. But you make yourself vomit, putting your finger into your mouth, or smelling something that's not nice, anything to bring on the vomit. You do anything to bring on the vomit, then it breaks your fast. you vomited on purpose, you've removed things from your body on purpose. But if it's completely accidental, you're not feeling well, you're not feeling well, and you end up vomiting. That doesn't break your fast. So that's the difference between somebody who purposely makes themselves vomit and somebody who just ends up vomiting from not feeling well. The one who purposely vomits, his fast is broken. The one who just ends up vomiting from not feeling well, his fast isn't broken. He can still carry on and it will count. Then the last section we'll do for today is the issue of traveling. When you are traveling and fasting. Again, now focus, there are two hadith here. Two hadith in this topic of traveling. Hadith number one. Both of them saying opposite things. Or apparently opposite things. Hadith number one. Hadith of Jabir ibn Abdullah. Radiyallahu anhumah. Anna Rasulullah sallallahu sallam. Kharaja aam al-fathi ila Makkah. Fi Ramadan. فصام حتى بلغ كراع الغميم. When the Muslims came back from Medina and conquered Mecca in the eighth year of Hijrah, they came back during the month of Ramadan. It was, it was in Ramadan when that happened. When they came back, when they had enough of the army, now everybody they came back to Mecca and conquered Mecca. That was in Ramadan when it happened. So this narration tells us about that story. 
It says in Ramadan, the Prophet ﷺ and all of the army, the Muslims, they left Medina heading towards Makkah. When they were about to go and conquer Makkah. So they were in Ramadan. And so they were all that morning fasting. They had all got up that morning, done the suhoor, everything. They were fasting. Whatever time it was after Fajr, they head off towards Makkah. They were all fasting. So they were fasting. And in those days, you know, in the desert and the heat and how it was between Makkah and Medina, it's like from here to London. That's the kind of distance, two, three hundred miles. So they were fasting. The Prophet ﷺ was fasting, all of the others were fasting. Until they were on their journey, they got to a place called Qura' al-Ghamim. They got to this place called Qura' al-Ghamim. And it's a valley between Mecca and Medina. It's a place between Mecca and Medina. When they got to this place on their journey, and everybody was fasting, they stopped there. And the Prophet ﷺ da'a biqadahin mimma in farafa'ah. They stopped when they got to that place. Take a break, etc., whatever it was. And the Prophet ﷺ told them to bring him a bowl of water. So, they brought him a bowl of water. In front of all of them, he lifted up the bowl of water. To show all of them. And in front of all of them, he drank. To show them that as we are traveling, we're not fasting. He opened his fast in front of them all. When they got to this place, Qura' al-Ghamim, this valley on the way. Stopped, asked for the bowl of water, raised it up. Everybody can see this bowl of water, drank it in front of all of them. To show them we're not fasting on the journey. Hatta So when he raised up the bowl, everybody looked at him. He drank when they were all looking at him. Then though what happened? Obviously when they all saw that, they all opened their fast. They realized as travelers, the ruling is we don't have to fast. But then it was said to the Prophet ﷺ, فَقِيلَ لَهُ بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ إِنَّ بَعْضَ النَّاسِ قَدْ صَامُ فَقَالُ أُولَٰئِكَ الْعُسَاتِ أُولَٰئِكَ الْعُسَاتِ وَفِي لَفْضِ قيل له إن بعض الناس قد شق عليهم الصيام وإنما ينتظرون فيما فعلت فدعا بقدح من ماء بعد العصر فشرب. It was said to him, they came and told him, told the Prophet ﷺ that some people have carried on fasting. Some people have carried on fasting. They haven't opened it. Now the Prophet ﷺ had opened it, showed them all, everybody had opened it, but a few of them hadn't opened it, they carried on fasting. So the Prophet ﷺ said, they are sinners. In the narration, the Prophet ﷺ said, those, they are sinners in that case. In another narration, it tells you the same story, and it says that this happened after Asr. So from Fajr all the way to Asr, they've been fasting. At Asr time, they got to this place called Qura al-Ghamim, and that's when this happened. Showed them that you don't have to fast. But some people carried on. The Prophet ﷺ said, they are sinners. That's hadith number one. That's, that's in Muslim. That seems to indicate to you that when you're fast, when you're traveling, you should not fast. And if you do, you are a sinner. Hadith number two though, hadith of Hamza ibn Amr al-Aslami. رضي الله عنه 
أنه قال يا رسول الله أجد بقوة على الصيام في الصفر فهل علي جناح He said, O Messenger of Allah, I find in me, in myself, strength to be able to fast even when I'm traveling. I can do it. I can physically do it. So is there any problem in that? Meaning, is there a problem if I just fast even when I'm traveling? Then you won't have any days to make up, etc. So he said, look, he said, O Messenger of Allah, I got strength. I can physically do it. I'm traveling on journeys, I can fast, it's not a problem for me. So is there an issue in that? Is there an issue in me fasting when I'm traveling? The Prophet ﷺ said, The Prophet ﷺ said, It is a rukhsa Allah has given you. Meaning it's a permission that Allah has given you. What's the permission? That when you're traveling you don't have to fast. The Prophet ﷺ said, Allah has given you this permission. So whoever takes that permission, that is good. Whoever takes the permission Allah has given you, that's good. Because there's a narration, in Allah يُحِبُّ أَنْ تُؤْتَرُ Allah loves that you take the permissions He gives you. So the Prophet ﷺ said, Allah has given you this permission not to fast when you're traveling. So whoever takes that permission and doesn't fast when they're traveling, that's good. But then the Prophet ﷺ also said, وَمَنْ أَحَبَّ أَنْ يَصُومُ فَلَا جُنَاحَ عَلَيْهِ But whomsoever wants the fast, there's no sin upon him, there's no issue upon him. So this hadith indicates, whoever wants the fast when they're traveling because they can, and they don't want to leave days to make up afterwards, they can. It's allowed. So then how do you combine the two narrations now? First one saying that the Prophet ﷺ said, they're sinners for fasting when they're traveling. This one saying, well, it's a permission Allah has given you, you should take it, but whoever wants the fast, you can, no issue. So what's the ruling when you're traveling? It depends on opinion, one view is of Imam Zuhri and Nakhai, that you shouldn't Yeah, but why, why? We know the, we know the, uh, the two opinions, but why? One opinion is saying, the first hadith is saying you can't. You'll be a sinner if you do. Second hadith is saying you can, but why? How do you explain the narrations? I think that one is Muslim, I think Imam Zufri and Nakhai use that one for their view. Yeah, but why? The question is why? How? How do you explain the two narrations that seem to be saying, seem to be saying opposite things? The first narration seems to be saying, if you fast when you're traveling, you are a sinner. Second one is saying, if you fast when you're traveling, it's okay. So how do you combine them is the question. Is it based on distance? So if I'm going to Bradford, I'm... So depending on the type of journey you're saying, yeah. maybe almost sort of. That's not here. Here it's a different type of issue. Based on capability. Based on capability, what do you mean? So if you're taking yourself to an extreme in terms of your hunger and pain, then you should break the fast in terms of the travel that you take. That's closest explanation. The closest explanation the scholars have given is that in this second hadith, Hamza ibn Amr al-Aslami, he clearly tells the Prophet I'm somebody who's fit and healthy and strong and capable. I can fast even when I'm out on the journeys. And it doesn't impact upon me, I can do it, no problem. So is there an issue? The Prophet said in that case, take the permission, it's good, but if you want to, you can fast then. The first hadith 
Imagine the journey they were doing. Makkah to Medina. Out on the desert from Fajr till Asr. Imagine that. By the time you get to Asr, out in the desert, you know, the temperatures over there as well, 30 degrees, 40 degrees. What's going to be the state of the people? You're going to be finished. Weak and, and sun and heat and everything. They were not in a position of strength and ability. That's why when they tried to carry on fasting without being in a position of strength and ability, the Prophet ﷺ said they are sinning. Meaning in that type of scenario, you shouldn't try to fast. So it's all about this issue of ability. If you are fit and able and strong, then you have a choice. If you want to take the permission anywhere and say, no, I'm not going to fast. Absolutely good. And you can make them up afterwards. If you take the position, well, I'm fit and strong and able. I don't want to leave days to make up. I'll just fast. It's not a problem. You can do that. But if you're a person who's not fit and able, and you're going to go traveling one day, and you know if you try and go traveling one day now, you go uh, uh, traveling one day now, uh, and you're going to end up crashing your car, fall unconscious, everything, you're not going to be able to do your journey. It's going to be so much pain and difficulty. You're not really capable. For you now, do you have a choice? If you try and fast now, hadith number one will be applicable to you that you're sinning. You shouldn't be doing that. You're not capable. So if you're not capable, you don't have a choice. If you're not really capable, the only choice you have is to break your fast, don't fast. So it's all about ability. Somebody who has ability has the choice. Hadith number two is clear. Somebody who doesn't have the ability then they should not fast. If they do, then hadith number one is telling you, you're sinning. Making that burden upon yourself, harming yourself, you shouldn't do it then. And that's the way to combine between the narrations. This isn't really a difference of opinion in terms of one is haram and one is halal. Not really like that. It's not an ikhtilaf like that. The scholars, what they talked about was preference. What is preferred? If you have the ability, then what's preferred? Is it preferred that you should just fast anyway? Or is it preferred you take the permission? For the one who has the ability, what's preferred? That you take the permission and don't fast anyway? That's the opinion of some scholars. Take the permission anyway. Even if you're able. Because there's a narration that says, Allah loves that you take the permissions He gives you. So take it. But the other opinion says, You should fast. Because that way you are fulfilling the obligation upon you there and then. And you're not leaving obligations upon your shoulders for later. So fulfilling the obligations at the earliest possible time is better than delaying obligations. So they say if you're able, do it. Why are you going to delay the obligation? Who knows what happens afterwards? Do it now if you can do it. So you have those two opinions regarding which is better for the person who's able for the one who's not able, they don't even have a choice. They cannot fast. If they try and they're not really able, difficulty, harm, their body, everything, they are sinning. They shouldn't do that then. So that is regarding the issue of traveling. That's where we'll leave it for today. We'll carry on with it next week. Any questions up to there so far? Uh, toothpaste when you're fasting, is it permissible or not? Scholars, they say, ideally... Ideally, to start with, you can say, obviously, you should avoid it. Ideally, avoid using toothpaste when you're fasting. Why make that issue for yourself? The ruling, though, 
if you had to use it, it is permissible and it doesn't break your fast. You just got to be careful, of course. Be careful, wash it all out properly, everything, don't. You got to be careful with the whole process because brushing your teeth, washing your mouth out, it's dangerous. You may swallow something, etc. But as long as you're perfectly careful with everything, then it doesn't break your fast. Even though the scholars say, if you're in that situation where you got to use it, you have to be perfectly good and proper and careful with it. And make sure you use toothpaste that isn't heavily flavored. Very light kind of toothpaste, not heavy flavor toothpaste. You can use a light toothpaste, be very careful, and it's okay, it doesn't break your fast. But avoid it if you can. They say, brush your teeth after suhoor, brush your teeth after iftar, you don't have to brush it during the day. Use the miswak and things during the day, that's it. Mouthwash, a similar type of thing, but again, that's even more dangerous than toothpaste because the way you use mouthwash, it's it's much more likely you're going to end up swallowing something. And that really should definitely, to your best ability, be avoided because even when you make wudu, when you're fasting, what does the hadith say? Not to goggle. You know when you put your mouth, water in the mouth and nose? And you goggle and everything. When you're fasting, it says don't goggle. When you use mouthwash, what are you going to do? That's the way you're supposed to use it properly. So really, it shouldn't be used. Mouthwash, try and avoid it. That use in the, in the after iftar, before suhoor. During the day, get some miswak. Even the flavored miswak is allowed. That doesn't do anything. You can use those types of miswak. It's okay, that's it. Anything else? Alright, that's what we'll uh, round off for today then. Next week, so we're going to be in Ramadan next week. So uh, you're all signed on to this text message thing. The time, I don't know what time it's going to be yet. We may have to change the time around a little bit because of uh, Ramadan beginning. So Allah alam exactly what time it's going to be next week. But everybody should be on that texting list. So you'll get the time. The Twitter account, follow that as well. That will uh, update the time as well for what time it's going to be next week, inshallah. It may just end up being the same, but just in case. All right, so we'll conclude that.